Thank you so much for the invitation. I often refer to Pastor Richie in my head and to some others. Uh, I refer to him as Pastor Logan. That's because somehow it gets crossed up in my mind, but uh, I was just saying this morning how what a wonderful couple of children you've sent to Valley Forge. They're truly um, a lot of, uh, they're mature beyond their years, and you should really be proud. They're really light in, uh, a light in our uh, university and grateful to have them. And so thank you so much for having us. My wife is here. Rebecca, would you welcome her? Let's just say hi. Yeah. Yeah. Um, many people, when I get up and they introduce me as president, they get concerned. Uh, they go, how old is this guy that uh, they made him president? Uh, I have a 16-year-old teenage daughter, uh, 15 years 13 years, so there, I have three teenage daughters and a surprise five-year-old son that God gave us. Uh, oftentimes, people uh, in their rudeness ask me if uh, we were trying for a boy. No, we were not. We, uh, we are completely uh, content with the gift of our daughters, and, uh, and we, were, we were very thankful for, for them. And but sure enough, uh, in Ecuador, of all places, uh, he was born. And so we're very excited to have him. This is actually not by accident that I ask, how many of you had teenage girls or have teenage girls raising them, experience? Okay, there's a lot of you. This is not accident. I'm very strategic in asking all of you, wherever I go, if you have teenage girls, please pray for me. I have three girls. They're beautiful girls. And... Uh, I'm concerned, and, and, so, and so I just encourage all of you to pray. For, so I'm thinking, we're, like, now I get to travel a lot and be in different churches. I'm getting an army of prayer intercessors for my teenage girls. So please remember, when you remember us, remember to pray for our girls as well. They, uh, they're just wonderful uh, girls who are growing up in the Lord despite all of the transitions of life, and so we're very thankful for them. We're thankful to be here. I bring you greetings from the University of Valley Forge. Lots of our, lots are happening at Valley Forge. We're excited about what God is doing uh, in the lives of our students. I see that there's a lot of alums. Like uh, I went to uh, school with Mike when he was um, at the school. It was Valley Forge Christian College. It, uh, I keep on saying it's the glory days, but whoever I meet that's been there before me, they said, no, you were not there at the glory days. When I was there, that was the glory days. But anyway, I see um, Hilda and Bill over there, uh, missionaries and professors at Valley Forge for a long time. I also see some students here from the University of Valley Forge. Okay, uh, they, they came all the way up. Uh, but we're, we're so glad um, to know that God is working in young lives, and God is doing some wonderful things there, and so we're excited about what God is doing. Um, just to, I usually share, I don't like to talk a lot about myself, but I want to share a little bit of the background so we get to connect a little bit, so you know kind of where I'm from and where my family's from, so that when I get into the Word, you kind of have a little bit of context. I actually grew up as a missionary's kid, so I grew up in Ghana, West Africa, and uh, I've met some Nigerian folks right before service. Um, you know, I can actually spot a West African very easily. But I grew up there. I eventually moved um, to the, uh, back to the U.S. and I went to middle school in northern New Jersey while my parents were continuing his missions work in uh, Latin America. And, I, and then I went to Washington State for high school all the way in the West Coast. 
And then uh, I came to the, uh, at that time, Valley Forest Christian College, uh, in, I believe in 1992, okay? And then I graduated in 97, and then I began working in New York City as an intern, and then I kind of rode the wave. I'm going to tell that story a little bit, rode the wave of, of that church. It's a pretty large church, but it became a global kind of movement, and I rode that wave, and then we went to... Ecuador as missionaries and uh, business as missions. I'll tell a little bit about that as well. But And then by God's providence and guidance, he brought us back to the U.S. And who knew that uh, I would be here addressing this church as president of Valley Forge? How many of you just know that, you know, sometimes many are the plans of man, but it is the Lord's will that prevails? Uh, you can have all kinds of plans in the world, but uh, God will do his work, and God will uh, fulfill his plan for your life if you would walk with him. Uh, God has a way of doing that. My wife was born in Chicago, raised in northern Jersey and Queens, New York, and so we're like all over the place, <laughs> all right? But anyway, I want to get into the word this morning from Isaiah chapter 6. This is a familiar verse, I'm sure, for many of you. I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 12. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to verse 12. If you've been around the church, you've probably heard this message. It's not necessarily what you think it is. So I encourage you to bear with me and, uh, and, and see what the Lord has for us today. It says on verse 1, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another. This is a famous verse that you're very familiar with. Uh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. He said, Go and tell this people. Usually people end right at that statement. Here I am, send me. But there is something really important after that that's really important for our dialogue today. Okay, It says here, he said, this is God, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull, and close their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined, 
and without inhabitant until their houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. Oftentimes when, whether it's missionaries or people like me that come and preach, we go, send me, go. But we don't realize that the context of verse 6 is God's sending of Isaiah to a people who will not hear the word of God. And that through his preaching ushers in a time of ruin for the Israelites. And uh, we don't like to talk about that, but sometimes God has his plans, whether it's good in our eyes or bad in our eyes, his plans are always good. And uh, God is bringing something through it. And so today we're going to explore this scripture uh, here for a moment. So let's bow our heads in a word of prayer and we'll get to the word. Lord, we thank you for this moment. Lord God, I know that it's a Sunday and uh, for some of us, this is a thing that we do. I know that there's also others here maybe visiting for the first time. I pray that you would speak your love into our hearts and that we would not be the same way we came. I pray that we would just experience your presence and your love here, that your word would penetrate our hearts and transform us, that we may be used for you. We may be a vessel that you desire. Lord God, but we also pray right now, I know that I'm not worthy to stand here, but by your grace, would you speak forth your word, and I pray that it would be a meaningful time for all of us, and may your presence and your glory be present here, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. When the scripture mentions something three times consecutively, it's not because it's doing something that's not useful or not meaningful. Scripture doesn't waste words. How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? Every word is useful. And when the scripture says something like this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, it is an exclamation point of emphasis and significance of what it's saying. And I love what it says here, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And when it talks about the glory of God, it's really talking about the weight of God's glory. What does that mean? It's the worth of God. It's who he is. It's all the praise and honor and acclamation that he deserves because his matter, his essence, his worth far outweighs anything else in the world, whether it's people or things. When the presence of God falls upon a room, when the presence of God comes upon you or upon anything else, he becomes magnified and the weight of his worth falls. And this morning I just shared that sometimes I think our churches I love our churches, but sometimes I think something's happening in our American church today that I'm, uh, deeply troubles me, where there's a lot of things that I think that we're doing, maybe trying to manufacture this glory, whether it's through the lighting or state-of-the-art stuff that's happening. And I always ask this question to our students. I say, like, what's next? 
Okay, like what's next for the church? There's got to be, you know, somebody's worship leader ziplining from the second floor down the waterfall, you know, kind of effect while we're singing oceans. And I don't know what's next, but you can't, all of the events and these things are wonderful, but all of these excitement for these things cannot substitute for the weight of God's glory and his presence. And when you experience the weight and the glory of God, you don't need anything else. You don't need to do anything else to attract people to the church because the love and the glory of God is evidenced in his, through the power of his presence in service. And when you experience the presence of God, people will be drawn to his glory. And uh, I, I want you to know that this is something that's so significantly important. And look, at the University of Valley Forge, one of the things that we're really trying to teach our students is not just to say to them, surrender to God or worship the glory of God. Because I often ask, when pastors tell me, you should encounter the presence of God and glory of God, I just ask myself, how? I want to. How does that happen? What causes, what causes this reverence for the glory of God? What causes the ushering in? What causes God to reach down and manifest himself in glory to you and to me like Isaiah? And what I want to say to you, it's really his love, his love for you and for me. It's not that we would love him, that he would love us. It's that he loves us that we respond in love to him. It's the same thing with Isaiah's situation, right? Uh, You know, a lot of times people think that destruction of the Israelites or the destruction of what happened where the Israelites eventually, you know, they experienced the devastation of losing their temple, the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom, being demolished and destroyed by God's punishment upon their lives. But this punishment, even as God was preparing the scattering of his people, God shows up to Isaiah and reveals his plan of uprooting the people because God loved them too much to let them be. God loved them too much to let them leave them from generation to generation of apostasy, of falling away from God. God loved them too much to leave them alone. I didn't have time to go into all of this this morning, but I'll tell you a little piece. When we say the apostasy of the Israelites falling away from God, we're not just talking, just veering off a little bit. We're talking about from generation to generation denying God and going after other idols. It says in, at some point, even King Josiah, when God called him for a little bit to try to revive Israel, they, couldn't, they didn't even know where the law of Moses was. They were cleaning out the temple, and they figured out, they rediscovered the word of God. That's how, I mean, they, they had a glimpse of revival, and they went back to apostasy and falling away and falling away and ignoring God and denying God. But it was out of his love for his people, God appears again to prophets over and over again, including Isaiah preparing them 
for a destruction to uproot them, to scatter them, to eventually bring them back from exile, to eventually fulfill the promises that God had for the Israelites, to bring about the promised one, Jesus Christ, to fulfill His covenant and His promise. So it was actually God's unending, unconditional love that God appears before Isaiah and calls His life to send and set into motion this destruction that's going to come, this uprooting that's going to come, so that God would have His restoration plan for the Israelites. This is why we love God. Because He loves you. Because He loves us. And I say these two things to students all the time, and if they don't know this statement by now, Okay, then I'm failing at my job, okay? I just want you to know that when I tell people or our students to make Jesus the ultimate precious thing in their lives, they can't do that until they know that God finds them precious. Until the manifestation of God's love through the power of the Holy Spirit is revealed through the encounter in their hearts, they will never be able to make God the ultimate thing in their life. We cannot tell them to surrender things or we cannot tell them to abandon things for the Lord unless God has revealed himself in an encounter to our students. And the same way, for some of you sitting here, you can be coming here week after week after week. Some of us, you need an encounter the manifestation of God's love in your life, and you need to pray for that. And the only way you're going to know His love is when God reveals it through the power of the Holy Spirit and manifests His love to you. I went to a grad school full of very, very smart people. In my class, we had Harvard cum laude graduate, UPenn, Dartmouth, you name it. The best of the best was in my incoming class, okay? And I studied under some of the best professors, theologians in the world. These people have won awards in many institutions in Europe. I've heard incredible exposition of theological truth from these individuals. But let me tell you something. Just because you know the things of God doesn't mean you know the love of God in your heart. And most of my classmates today are not serving the Lord, even though they know. The problem is for some of us, we come to church and we gain the knowledge of God, but we need to know that God finds you precious, that He loves you, that He cares for you. And wherever I go, I usually take a moment to explain to you what really happened on that cross. Okay, the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power to bring salvation for everyone. It is the power. The gospel changes lives. Gospel transforms lives. What is this gospel? It's the good news, right? It's Evangelion in Greek. You don't need to know Greek to know that it's the good news of Jesus Christ. Back when, during the Roman times, when military generals were sent out to battle, 
for Caesar and the empire on conquests, they would go to far lands to conquer nations, cities, and they would go to war to defend their empire and so forth. And when they would have a major victory, they would actually send a herald, good news, messenger, the Evangelion. They would send a messenger back home and go from village to village, often on a horse, with a banner, proclaiming the good news of the victory won by the general. And so the victory won by the general now becomes their victory, and there's a celebration of that victory. And so this is the same concept between, this is why that word is used, a herald, good news to depict and describe what Jesus has done upon that cross. So we had nothing to do with the battle that Jesus won, but Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, ministered, healed people, eventually went to the cross for you and for me, taking the wrath of all of our sins of humanity for the redemption plan that God has. He took it upon his shoulders and suffered the ultimate suffering of abandonment from God upon that cross, separated from God. He died on that cross, resurrected, and is now seated, ascended, and seated on the right hand of God, interceding for us. But here's the important news. This is why this is good news. Everything Jesus Christ has accomplished, from birth, life, ministry, valor, death on the cross, resurrection power, ascension, seated in the glory of the right hand of God, now, by His grace, belongs to you. You are clothed in God's righteousness. So therefore, everything, all the glory, John 17 says, all the glory that is due me is now in you. When you come to church, and when we say to you, come seek the presence of God, we are responding to this love. We're responding to the God of the universe who created the heavens and the earth. When we come before the throne of God, we're talking about this glory, this glory of the cross, this glory of salvation, this glory of what God did for us. So when we say we want an encounter with God the way Isaiah did, when we say holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, All the earth is full of God's glory, the weight of God's glory, His love, His uniqueness, His incomparableness. He is a class of His known. There's no one who compares to His glory. There's nothing in this world that compares to His love. That's why we can't find satisfaction in anything else in this world because He is the only one who can satisfy you. That is the glory that we're talking about. So how can that be manufactured in anything else? That's the glory of God. He wants to reveal that in you and in me. I want to tell you something. When the glory of God falls, when His presence falls, when His truth is revealed, 
His true self is revealed to your heart and your life, something happens. There's a lot of things that happen. But one of the things that happens is that it reveals to you your need of a Savior. It reveals to you your sinfulness. It reveals to you your darkness. It reveals to you where you are. And that's what we find in the Scripture in Isaiah 6. As Isaiah has an encounter with God, he was really troubled by, initially troubled by, the people of God, right? They're living in apostasy. They were living, walking away from God. They were living in rebellion against God. So all Isaiah saw was the sin of the people. But when he came face to face and encountered the glory of God for himself, his eyes didn't automatically turn to the people of God. He realized he was the sinful man. He says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. He says, all of a sudden, the light of Jesus, the glory of Jesus is shining in, and he is realizing the filth, the dirt. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? The sinful nature of men and women. He's realizing, my gosh, we are sick. He is sick. I need God, I need Jesus. He's realizing this weight of what's happening to him. Here's the thing. I want you to know that this enlightenment of our sinfulness is not going to be when you just sit and go, let's kind of process my sin. (laughs) Okay, let's kind of process what I'm going through because sin comes in ways and has, you know, the things of this world has a way of kind of attaching to you that when you don't even realize it's attaching to you. Okay, for example, pride. Okay, pride is something I could do a whole, I don't know, six-month series on pride. But for the sake of time, pride has a way, in, in Scripture it talks about pride being like smoke enveloping you where you can't see yourself. And it describes it as being stiff-necked and you can't see it. Okay, so that's why when you tell somebody, hey, let's say even an accountant, I think there's some pride things that we need to work through. They're like, what you talking about? Okay, that's not me. No, duh, because you can't see it. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) you can't see it unless the Lord reveals it, right? And so the things of this world and our over-desire for things of this world just creeps in. Even our desire to matter, our desire to be somebody because we want to be worth something outside of the will of God. It happens to all of us. It happened to me. Thank God God sent my wife and obviously the Holy Spirit. My wife is the assistant to the Holy Spirit. My wife goes everywhere and she says, I'm called on a mission. My first mission is to humble my husband and make sure that he's on target with Jesus. And I think she's doing a very good job. (laughs) Okay, uh, but anyway, when I was in New York ministering for in that organization for 15, 16 years, it, it was a pretty large church to begin with when I started as an intern. But it became a, a global organization where they were building schools, hospitals. At some point, we had thousands of students in our schools. I had the privilege of building some of these schools in Latin America and also in Kenya and uh, in Tanzania and different places. We've built churches, schools. 
I had the front row seat, not the only the front row seat. I got to lead some of these ventures. And so we got to do a lot of cool things. But when you begin to do a lot of cool things, you begin to believe something, some lies about yourself, right? That somehow you had something to do with this kind of stuff. And when you have, start having not tens of staff, hundreds of staff all over the world reporting to you or having oversight, you begin to believe lies about yourself that are not true. And uh, at some point we were, I was going, most six months out of the year I was not home. I was going back and forth in the name of Jesus doing ministry. My wife fulfilling her mission said to me one day, either you leave this church or I leave you. (laughs) Okay, and so we heeded that. Options became very clear to me, and uh, we had to leave New York, and we felt a leading towards missions, and we pursued a vision that God had placed in our hearts. Back then, business as missions was not a thing. So long story short, we felt led to missions, and we went, and we were doing, um, I became, um, I, I launched a company called Terra York Cacao, which is a a business venture to uh, export cocoa beans. How many of you like chocolate? It's the beans that make chocolate. By the way, most of the chocolate that you eat are junk cocoa beans. Okay, so if you want the good stuff, let me know. Okay, after church, I will give you free advice. All right, but anyway, I went there to do cocoa exportation because for the longest time, we were doing schools educating students and children of poor communities and we realize after a decade of that they go right back to farming and there's no movement and so there was a there's a thing of social um socioeconomic injustices that were happening by really the the haves against the have-nots and one of the things we wanted to do was to bridge that gap the cocoa beans exchanged hands seven times before it got to the chocolatier so you're basically hurting the farmers and they don't have the education to fight they don't know how to do this kind of stuff so they're basically gouging the farmers and so we were trying to undercut that and help communities and begin a a revolution and so forth but we were becoming very highly successful and i was about to sign a major contract with actually the, the largest national company in ecuador they really really appreciated the process and the quality of our beans and I was doing some inventory in the farms and I was on the way back on a very late night and my driver, he was a young guy, 22, and an oncoming traffic car swerved into our lane and uh, instead of slowing down for them to go back in lane, he jerked right. And when he jerked right, he hit the only tree for 45 miles. The trunk of the tree was massive, and our pickup truck wrapped around, in my corner, the tree. Okay, and uh, he walked off without a scratch. But for me, I lost my eye, right, my, my right eye, and I have three screws on my cheekbones, and it literally crushed the right side of my face. I told Pastor Richie that I don't have time to go into the story of all of the accident. There's a lot of miracles to get me to the right hospital for the right surgery, you know, all of those things. But I'm pretty stubborn. My wife is pretty stubborn together for the Lord. And so we were not planning to come back from Ecuador. But on vacation, we came back to check out everything. But the Lord spoke to us and says, you can't go back. 
And I said, what do you mean? You sent us there. <laughs> okay, what do you mean? But you got to come back. And I said, so we had a lot of prayer, and the, we knew that the Lord was telling us to come back. So we lost a quarter million dollars of cash, of investment, vision, dreams. I had a job. I had money. I had all of these things. All of that gone just like that. Okay, and I remember, um, some of our students know this because I tell this story, but I remember I was uh, in a two-bedroom apartment of my brother's place. He has a family of five. We have a family of six. Two-bedroom. We were in one bedroom. I was in a fetal position trying to recover from the accident. And I just remember asking God, what happened? What's going on? One day you knew where you were going. One day you thought you were going. The other day it's all gone. Okay, and I had no idea what was happening to me. I needed to feed my family. I needed to take care of my family. So I called my mentor and friend, and he has a church consulting group. So he knew that I have some leadership acumen and uh, skills. And so he said, why don't you help me? And eventually led me to a church where I signed a couple-year contract to put in their systems and spiritual formation systems and so forth. I remember going there, and if the accident was bad... For me, that was even worse because in New York, I had staff. Okay, if I walk in the room, people get out of the way. Here, I was in charge of Disneyland, right? But here, it was the local carnival, but I wasn't even in charge. And I have to hand out tickets, basically, so to speak, right? And I remember one time, I couldn't even get people to, uh, you know, stuff bulletins with connection cards. And uh, I remember being there with my daughters, cutting connection card. And uh, I was just with my daughters, and I, I was asking God, what, what happened? <laughs> What's going on in my life? He turned that question, and he asked me. He said, am I enough for you? Am I enough for you? And in those moments, you know what God was revealing to me? He said, something happened in your heart along the way that you didn't see. Vision and ambition became your idol. Power and position became your thing. Because I love you, I can't leave you the way you are. And even though it took a tree trunk and smashed face, That wasn't enough. I had to bring you to a place, a low place, to reveal to you through my glory and through my love. I had to reveal to your heart where you went wrong. And I remember those two couple of years, it was a very, very difficult time for me personally. It was even more painful than the accident. It's the process of God's breaking. Right? But that process of God's breaking started like six, seven years for me. And sometimes you just don't know where you are. You need the glory of God's weight to come upon your life and your presence of God to reveal that to you. Today, people ask me, hey, you're the president of Valley Forge. My colleagues ask me, actually. My friends who went to school ask me that all the time. And I I think, is that a joke question? Is there like a feeling for being a president of a university? Like, is there an adjective that I don't know? Um, Nobody cares whether you're a president 
whether you're uh, cleaning uh, somewhere for a living, it doesn't matter what we're doing. Our positions don't matter. What matters is that the God of the universe says, I'm his son. I'm his daughter. He says, all of God's glory and valor now belongs to you. Okay, so when I was cutting those connection cards and stuffing bulletins, man, I'm a child of God. I can do that. I can surrender my life because he finds me precious. I, he's the most precious thing to me. So whatever God calls me to, I can do it because I know that he finds me precious. And here's the thing. When God reveals this stuff into your heart, God doesn't leave you there. God refines you <coughs> and purifies you. That's the beauty of God's grace. He not only revealed something to Isaiah that, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, living among a people who are sinful and unclean. But you know what I love about this? It says, the angel took a coal and brought it to his tongue. It's an analogy for purifying fire of God. When God reveals something to you, he doesn't leave you there. He purifies you. He refines you. But what is this purification refining for? It's not just to make you a moral person. It's not just to make you a right person. Why? Because God has already made you right in his sight. Are you with me? When God sees you, God sees Jesus' righteousness in you. So why is he refining you this way while we're on earth? How many of you know we're heaven-bound? We are in this process. But why is God refining us? How many of you know we're just passing through here? Okay, but in this moment of this journey, God wants to refine you and refine us by the fire of his Holy Spirit. Why is that? That's because he wants to use us. He wants to use us as a vessel for his kingdom. As this refining was happening, Isaiah aligned himself, and God made this possible through his encounter with Isaiah, with the refining with the coal. He said, send me, Lord. Here I am. Here's the incredible part. I just want you to know that oftentimes when we're in this setting, you're like, send me where? <laughs> okay. I'd like to pray that prayer, but send me where? Here's what I want to say to you. There is a misnomer about church and the people. We're celebrating uh, Reformation, 500-year, ref- the Protestant movement, the separation between the Catholic Church and the Protestant, uh, the Martin Luther's 95 Thesis on the Wittenberg Door, 500 years of Protestant movement. If you don't know, we were all Catholic Church before. Catholic just meant universal church. Eventually, the Catholic Church became the, adhering their allegiance to the Roman leadership and council, and then we had our Reformation. The Catholics had their own counter-Reformation during that time, but we're celebrating our own 500 year reformation during that time there was a certain things that happened that were really critical they were going back to only faith only grace only christ only scripture okay they were going back to all of these kinds of things but one of the reformations that started back then that really never got traction 
is the significance and importance of the priesthood of all believers. That it's not just a ruling class or a clergy class that got to function in priestly function, but rather that every single person who is in the body of Christ are priesthood. You are a minister of the gospel. Okay, so what I'm saying to you is Ephesians 4 says that pastors, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and prophets ought to equip the people of God for ministry. Are you with me? So when you say in these pews, send me, it's not just for the missionaries and pastors. You are a minister of the gospel, a messenger of the Evangelion, the good news. And wherever you are, I want you to know that God can send you into your workplace, into your homes, into your neighborhoods. I want you to know that when you come into the presence of God and you experience the encounter and the glory of God's weight upon your life, God will begin to refine your life so that you may become a vessel that God will send wherever He desires. But wherever He desires to send you, Don't be fooled by the metrics of success that is preached in churches all over the place. Listen carefully. It's not the numbers. It's not even the fruit of what you see right away. That somehow your efforts of servitude is serving your neighbor results in them coming to Jesus in the present. It's not always true. Wherever God sends you, it's not always true that you will see fruits right away or you will see the kinds of fruits that you're desiring. Even in church, how many of you know when God calls you to love somebody, some of them will backstab you. Some of them will never appreciate the serving that you do. Some of them will never ever see what you're doing. Isaiah never saw it. He said, send me and guess where God sent him? To a place, though they have years, they will never hear. Though they have eyes, they will never see. But because of the encounter of the love of the glory of God, he was able to fulfill his mission. We will never be able to fulfill the mission that God has for our lives unless we know that he loves you. Not just here, but the manifestation of that love in you. Amen. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to just take a moment. This is really important right now. Some of you, you've been coming to church a long time, but I know that you need an encounter today. You need an encounter with the Holy Spirit. You need an encounter with the presence of God right now. You know that the Holy Spirit is here for that. Holy Spirit's role is to magnify and illumine and glorify Jesus in your heart. So you can pray for that. That's his role. Say, Holy Spirit, would you reveal Jesus to me? Would you reveal the glory of Jesus in my heart that I may love Jesus with all my heart because he first loved me. And as the presence of God is falling on you, just say, make this prayer as well. Lord, purify me. I can't see. Would you reveal to me and purify me? And for some of us, would you say, Lord, send me. 
whatever you call me to. Whatever you call me to, send me. Would you do that? I want you to take a just moment in this quiet just to seek him right now. Would you do that? Hallelujah, Jesus. We exalt you right now. God, may your presence reign upon this service right now. May your presence reign upon this service right now. Lord Jesus, be glorified, oh God. Be exalted, Lord Jesus. May the weight of your glory fall upon us right now, upon our hearts, upon our minds. Reveal yourself to us, Lord God. Reveal yourself to us, Lord God. Reveal yourself to us, Lord. We need you, Lord God. We need you, Lord Jesus. We need you, Lord Jesus, in this place. This is your heart this morning. Would you put your hand on your heart to say, Lord, I need an encounter with you, your glory, your love, and your presence. I want to pray for you. Put that hand over your heart. Lord, would you touch these hearts? Not just in knowledge of your saving grace, but may the power of the gospel your love be revealed to us by the power of your Holy Spirit in our hearts right now. Touch us, Lord. Touch us, Lord God. Touch us, Lord Jesus. We hunger for your presence. We thirst for your presence. Touch us, Lord God, right now. Touch us, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We exalt you. We exalt you, Lord God. 